0: Everybody in serial killer country, my name is Brittany Ransom.
1: And my name is Brian
0: Joyner. And this is When Killers Get Caught, a podcast devoted to deep dives into the killers we love to learn about. Usually every week, Brian and I discuss teacher group stories that resonated with us, and then I will lead you down the dark path of learning about who a killer was, how they grew up, how they killed, and most importantly, how they got caught. Then Brian ends our podcast with a segment about the paranormal, something about cryptids or just the creepier side in life. Uh, we want to say thank you so much for listening. And thank you to all the people who have been asking nonstop, when's the next podcast coming out? Because we've had a busy month. Um, I think we oh, both yes. pretty much started new jobs. I got sick. I still sound sick. So you get yeah. what you get. And you I don't moved. get upset, as I tell the four-year-olds in my class.
1: Yeah, this was the moving months for me. Just... Right,
0: yeah. And then you yes. moved. Yeah, it's been tough. I got uh, both a booster and a flu shot one weekend, and I was just like, I can't do anything. (laughs) (laughs) But thank you so much to the people who listen. We really appreciate you. And uh, this week in True Crime, something really wonderful happened, Brian, yesterday. Are you ready? Let's go. They've arrested somebody for the Delphi murder case in Indiana. What? Yep, it's been five years. I almost cried when I saw it. Like, this is a case that I've been following for a long time. Um, Now, here's the thing. They weren't trying to release the man's name until tomorrow, or no, Monday. uh, So, October 31st, Mm -hmm. but... Uh, apparently people got that information and they have released the photo as of today. But um, <laughs> for people who don't know what I'm talking about, um, on February 13th, 2017, um, family dropped off, these two girls, at what's called the and High Bridge in like Delphi, Indiana. And uh, the two young girls were Liberty and, gosh, why can't I remember her name? I'm staring at her face right now abby williams and liberty german Yes. and um this it's weird to people who probably aren't from the area but this path takes you across this bridge that used to be like for trains but now people just walk on it um and while the two girls were having their you know fun thing they were taking snapchat pictures and at one point um, Abby definitely noticed that someone so, was following them. Yep. And she took a vi- a video on Snapchat of the man. And that's the only images we've ever had. And we heard him say, um, down the hill. Yep. And so that's why yep. they called it like the down the hill murder for a little bit of time. And so when they went to pick up the girls, they were nowhere to be found. They called Libby's cell phone. It went unanswered. Eventually, it went straight to voicemail, which meant somebody turned it off or they let it just die. The family started searching. um, And then by late that afternoon, they contacted the sheriff's department. Um, Sheriff Lesenby uh, pretty much was the one in charge here. And originally, you know, generally, it's, it's weird because... For most part, we don't want to, they don't want to do missing persons cases until the person's been missing for 24 hours. But in terms of children's missing or abduction cases, the kid's normally dead within the 24-hour window. Um, The police were like, maybe they got lost. Maybe they moved to a different trail and they couldn't find their way back. Their phones died the community didn't care they went out looking that night um Mm -hmm. the sun went down the temperatures got very very low remember it's winter and tennis like this area of the country gets very very cold like right now we are getting weird like 70 degree days 20 degree nights It's very, very cold and it's not even winter yet right now. So February we're talking about zero degree temps or less. So they're like, you know, they searched well into the night. Um, and then February 14th, both the girls' bodies were found, um, about a mile away from the trail. Uh, the man whose property it was is no longer alive. Uh, but there was some, some interesting details about that. Like apparently they learned that he li- he lied about where he was the day they went missing. Um, so that was really suspicious. They haven't released a whole lot of evidence or the things that they've been looking up because they don't want to. It's, it's, it's a weird situation that happens in these cases that get picked up and become nationally known. Because you don't want to give too much information,
1: right? And and accidentally
0: tell your killer what you know. Yep, that's. Um, But what they did eventually release was the video. What they and based on the time of death and uh, the cold and whatnot, that video was taken very close to when Libby died. So, ultimately, that video was moments before that man attacked them. Um,
1: so, okay, my question is, is it the man that was in the video then that said down the hill?
0: Yes. It, um, oh, yes. Okay. All they heard him say was, guys, down the hill. And they got two sketches from people who were also on the trail that day. Mm -hmm. Um, and they released these like two kind of grainy photos that they tried to, uh, what's the word, um, magnify. And that's all we had. And, um, it's, it's a white guy wearing blue jeans, blue coat jacket, a hoodie. Um, and they immediately listed this guy as a person of interest. Um, they didn't. They released the audio clips like about two weeks later. Uh, About in April of that year, they released the video clip. They released the sketches about five months into the investigation. Uh, They were able to pinpoint that there was a unknown vehicle that was through the area. But regardless, I'm just going to say his name because there's going to be a public event on Monday, where they give more information about how they got this guy. But his name is Richard Allen. Um, he has a history of violent offenses. Uh, people found, uh, people have been doing the work ever since his name has been released. Uh, they pulled up Vine Link, which contained two entries for a Richard Matthew Allen. Uh, we do not know the charges yet, but we do know that he was in court on friday october 28th uh unfortunately because the the local sheriffs don't want to release everything yet there is rampant speculation going online right now but i will be watching or i will keep up with it and i'll probably watch the uh it's not an event but you know what i mean it's gonna be a pull the police talking to the media on monday so i intend to watch it um
1: yeah, I the, just remember. Another what, thing what, is that
0: Delphi is a small town, like three thousand people. So that was another reason why this was like, how do we not know where this who this guy ex- is? Exactly. Like he uh, always been there.
1: I should have noticed him from the freaking video they took of him.
0: But the the sketch, yeah, it feels solid. The only difference between what he looks like now and then is that his face is a little wider now, like he gained some weight. But mm. otherwise, it looks right. Um. There was another guy that they looked into in 2019, but that ended up not. uh, And tips have been coming from around the entire country for the last five years. So I'm really just, I I really hope this goes the right way. I know that uh, their family needs the closure from this. You know, Libby and Abby's family need, it would probably feel good to finally have everything closed and the person who hurt your children behind bars
1: absolutely I, I just like i remember when um uh, we were talking about this like the first time and it was brought up and it, i was just like it, it's so freaking scary like the, the video that yeah. was first posted so scary like you got this one guy just creepily following you and he's like says something to you and uh uh uh, uh just it's chills or it's chills again <laughs> I'm just glad, like, they arrested somebody for it, and hopefully this is the right person that did it, and hopefully justice is served. Um, so, for this week, for me, mm-hmm. so Brittany, so I, you work with small children, right?
0: Absolutely, I do.
1: <laughs> okay, so I, I know you've heard of this already, but daycare workers... Who decided to um, scare the crap out of children oh, yes. at work? Okay.
0: <laughs> I didn't look into it much because all like <coughs> what I actually saw was um, I don't know if you know her, Keita Rose on TikTok, um, but she talked about it and how those people should be in jail. And I was like, oh, what happened?
1: <laughs> <coughs> well, <coughs> she's right. <coughs> Goodness gracious. I'm sorry. <clears throat> Frog in his the throat. Um, they have been charged with multiple felonies.
0: Wow.
1: Yeah. Um, so it's four women, and they're, casing, they're, they're facing uh, three counts of felony child abuse for this little prank they pulled. So, if anybody doesn't know, um, there's this video going around daycare worker, she's wearing this Halloween mask. Gets all up in his little kid's face, scares the crap out of her, and oh, actually not even her, like they, the, the, like multiple little kids in the video, and it, it's just.
0: No, I never watched the video, so I'm gonna look it up now.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: it now says ex daycare worker. <laughs> yep, yep. Already, <laughs> I'm sorry, it's not. Oh my god, that's a horrible mask!
1: Right? I thought like when I first saw like the screenshot of it, I thought it was like a screen mask, but no, no, it's worse. It
0: looks like one of those like scary Japanese people. Absolutely. Like you know what I mean? The scary Japanese ghosts.
1: Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Um. These kids were about like three or four years old, so you know they were losing their shit.
0: Also, judging by how little the kids look. They look like they're about two. So they are. I work with the threes and fours, uh, pre K. Oh, so Um, you think it's younger? So these look younger than the kids that I deal with. These look very young, like toddlers. Oh, Oh, poor babies.
1: Right. Yeah. so my brother was the first one to do that right right oh my god so my brother was the first one who brought this to me and i was like i gotta look this up because it's like of course it's october so spooky season i and people i don't know what they were thinking with like trying to scare little kids especially with this horror mask like no no absolutely not but um this happened in, in mississippi um and they are facing possible prison time, so
0: now, how many people were involved in it? Was it just the lady in the video? No, or are they also bringing in the lady who filmed it and posted it. it?
1: It's saying four women th- okay th- that are involved in this. Um, I don't see all their names. I see three of the oh, no never mind, I got it. Wait, no, I'm seeing five now. Hold on a second. Okay. <laughs> but, um, I do first names. You got McCandles, you got Kilburn, Newman, uh, Shelton, and Hudson. So, there are apparently five women, uh, four women. Stou-
0: yeah, it sounds like the entire staff. <laughs> yeah.
1: Four women are facing three counts of, you know, child abuse, and I'm not sure what's going on with the, the other, the extra woman in here. Um. But yeah, yep. just... I
0: just looked at it. TMZ said two year olds. Yep, I was right. They look because I, I just it's like the tiny, tiny tables. Yeah, um, yeah, it's wild. The one lady, uh, I guess her name is Caitlin Johnson. Her two year old was in the video and she talked to TMZ. Yes. Oh, yeah, I'm looking at mugshots. Yep, all that's... five of them.
1: Yep, I guess one is facing misdemeanor charges. I'm um, uh, a failure to report the abuse. And I yeah. guess simple, simple assault. So, yeah.
0: The mom says she's not even considering filing a lawsuit because she thinks they won't ever get hired again and they won't be able to pay the damages.
1: Absolutely not. Oh, my God. So terrible. Like, it, that it, it's one thing to, you know, like, OK, for Halloween, for like trick or treat around our area, it's Halloween. trick or treat is Halloween. So right.
0: Us here, uh, too.
1: Yeah, I was, I was like, you know what would be funny and cool for me to do was, like, you know, how people, like, dress up as, like, a scarecrow or something and sit out on the porch and just have, like, a candy bowl in their lap and waiting for kids to come and try to grab something. And then you just scare right, them. Right, there's a
0: difference from, like, because I remember that. And you could, like, just sit up, and that's enough to scare them. But she was, like, going around screaming at the kids. And apparently the mom on TMZ, like, I saw a little, I clicked away from it just now, but she said that her son was, like, potty trained, and now he's not.
1: Oh, my God, no. And he's
0: not, like, sleeping through the night. And I'm like, you just undid months of hard work. This kid's now afraid to live.
1: Oh, my God, yeah. They definitely traumatize those children.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. I don't know why anybody thought that was okay. Yeah. But they're right, but, though. They probably won't ever be allowed to work in child care ever again.
1: Absolutely not. And hopefully, they do see some type some of some jail time. Uh, yeah, because that's unacceptable. <sighs> but yeah, that's what I got.
0: Well, and now to the main event. I'm not going to be talking about one killer today well technically i guess i'm going to be talking about one killer in the midst of the the total story but this is more than likely going to go up on halloween and so i have been very interested lately in um the conversation around candy and murder and well if you're listening and you're probably a millennial or gen x i'm sure your parents were like we got to wait to eat our candy until we can get home and check it or some variation of that when we were young. Because when I grew up, we grew up with the fear that someone was going to poison or put razor blades or drugs or broken glass in your candy. And now in like 2022, people are just openly mocking this. Mm -hmm. Like I've seen dozens of posts on my timeline with people showing um, like, Actually there was a really great one um that uh somebody found uh they they posted a p- picture of like a Snickers that was broken and then in it was a piece of paper that said we've been trying to contact you about your extended car warranty <laughs> <laughs> You know, right now in our modern era, this is just kind of comical because there are a couple of things that people know. One, drugs are expensive, and nobody's giving those out for free. Yeah, uh, right. <laughs> um, and but there's some some very real life situations that happened, and we're going to talk about some of those today. Uh, and essentially, how what started as an urban legend based on the teeniest, tiniest amount of truth turned into massive hysteria. Because I remember, like, the police posting booby-trapped candy hauls. And they would be like, oh, yes. they would have, like, on the nightly news like a whole table full of candy with stuff. And in my head, I'm like, did y'all just make this up?
1: They had to. because Y'all get- were just
0: lying? <sighs> Because every year brought more reports, but nobody ever died. So, of course, the question was, why in the world? Because at the height of the mass hysteria, like 60% of parents believed that care, like their kids were going to get hurt by candy. So why did we think this, right? <laughs> well, the first one that I could really find that I had a lot of information about. Uh, well, not even a lot of information. It was a small blurb in a newspaper in California, was a dentist who gave out candy-coated laxatives to trick-or-treaters in 1959, and of course he did that because he was trying to teach them a lesson, and he was charged with outrage of public decency and the unlawful dispensing of drugs.
1: Isn't that like poison? Like it's like poisoning too.
0: Yeah, I mean, you eat a piece of candy and then you feel terrible. Also, laxatives sometimes do a number on people's systems. Mm -hmm. So the next big one happens in Long Island, New York. It's Halloween 1964. This takes place at the home of housewife Ellen Fail, Helen Fail. And it's literally P-F-E-I-L. So I don't know if I'm saying it's feel or fail, but I think fail is funny because she did fail in this situation. (laughs) Um, Helen was giving out candy on Salem Ridge Road. And two young teens, Elise Drucker and her sister Irene and another school friend, stopped at Helen's house to get candy. And Helen kind of teased them and was like, aren't you a little old to be trick-or-treating? You know? But Helen was a mom herself to a teenager and it seemed like harmless ribbing as she dropped like a handful of what looked like candy into the teens pillowcases. Um, They all went back to the Drucker residence and when they opened the bag, they found these weird napkins uh, like they were like tied like a napkin was tied around it. And it was uh, looked like a bottle cap that had the poison symbol on the bottom of it. Those are called ant buttons and they are actually ant poison that you sit out around your house so the ants eat it and die. Um, Also, what she dropped in their bags were steel wool pads and dog biscuits. Mm. So Elise and Irene's mom are like, "Uh, there's actual poison in this bag. And the police go to Helen and she's kind of blasé about the whole thing. She's like, I told them it was a joke, and obviously the poison was labeled poison. I just thought they were too old to be out anyway, and no one really got hurt. And the police were like, there's potential someone could have gotten hurt.
1: Absolutely. They could have not looked at the stupid label that you had on there and definitely try to eat that.
0: Yeah. So she got (laughs) charged uh, and pled guilty to endangering children. And she received a suspended sentence. Uh, Unfortunately for Elise Drucker, she told the New York Times that uh, even like they talked to her later, like 50 years later, she said she never wore a costume or did anything Halloween related ever again. It really soured her to the holiday. That sucks. Now, yeah. Right after this, newspapers in Detroit reported that people had given out live filled bubble gum and in Philadelphia they reported that rat poison was given out neither of these events were proven just making stuff up okay it is amazing yeah. how like how many articles in major newspapers complete bull. Also, in 1970, the New York Times runs an article about this that's also baseless. Listen to the headline for this though: "It's those Halloween goodies that children collect this weekend on their rounds of trick or treating may bring them more horror than happiness." And the article just listed potential ways that candy could be tampered with. But so it was just like baiting people,
1: right? Uh... I I don't like it. I don't like it.
0: Mm -mm. Nothing. Now, the next one is also the biggest. And I'm sure you know who I'm going to talk about. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give you some background into what happened with Ronald Clark O'Brien. Most true crime people do know about him. His name. They called him the man who killed Halloween. Um, This was Halloween 1974. Ronald was 30 years old. He was married to his wife, Danine. They lived in Deer Park, Texas, with their son, Timothy, who was eight, and Elizabeth, who was five. Ronald was an optician at, the Texas, at Texas State Optical in Sharptown, Houston. He was also a deacon at the Second Baptist Church, and he sang in the choir and ran the local bus program for parishioners that needed ride-to-church events. They were your average middle-class family in the suburbs of Houston. Ronald's pastor described him as a good Christian man and an above average father. Now, of course, that was the surface and only his wife really knew what was going on in his life, which was that Ronald always had trouble keeping jobs. Uh, And at the time of this crime, he was on job 21 in the past 10 years. Whoa. Yeah. Meaning he got fired or was allowed to resign on average two times a year. Mm -hmm. And I say allowed to resign because he was constantly getting in trouble for either negligence on the job or just outright fraud. At the time he got arrested, the optician's office were investigating him for stealing money. Now, at this optician's job, Ronald made about $150 a week. And in today's money, that's about $900, which is an okay amount of money if you live by yourself. And you don't have a car or any major responsibilities. But if you got two kids and a wife uh, and like a mortgage or rent, $900 a week isn't doing it for you. It barely covered their food and rent. Uh, We know that Ronald's car was about to be repossessed. He had defaulted on several loans and they were valued up to nearly $100,000. So obviously, you know where we're going with this. (laughs) Halloween 1974 in Texas is rainy. Ronald had both his kids and their name were Jim Bates and his two kids. The group decided to to go trick-or-treating in Pasadena, Texas in hopes of getting more goodies. You know, Pasadena is a slightly nicer area. The night starts out normal. They come across a house with the lights off. The kids ring the bell a couple times and then they move on. Ronald's like, I'm gonna, you know, see if this person's here. And he catches up with them a couple houses later, and in his hands he's holding these absolutely massive, they are 21 inch Pixie Sticks tubes of candy. And for anyone who's probably not from the US, Pixie sticks are legitimately sugar in a tube (laughs) lightly flavored. There is no reason why we were allowed to eat these as children. It's just straight, like it's more than other candy straight sugar.
1: Yes it is.
0: He gives one to each of the kids and then he sees another neighborhood kid from his church and gives him one, too. So there are five of these tubes out there now, like most parents, when the night's over, you know, Ronald's like everyone can have one piece of candy before bed. Neither Timothy nor his sister were very interested in the giant pixie sticks. But Ronald kind of forced Timothy to pick it. Um, The powdered sugar was stuck in the straw which if you've had a pixie stick, you know that's weird. That's suspicious.
1: Mm-hmm. Why is it already stuck? Um, it's supposed to be stuck when I have right.
0: it shouldn't. It should, be, should move freely through. Well, mm-hmm. immediately after eating a mouthful, Tiff, Timothy's like, this is gross. And so Ronald gets him a glass of Kool-Aid to wash it down and then puts Timothy to bed. Timothy is dead within the hour. Um, I'm going to say it takes a special kind of horrible to do what Ronald did next. Because before he was even back in his own bedroom, his son was crying for his father and saying his stomach hurt. And pretty much he held his son while the boy convulsed, vomited, and gasped for air before just falling limp in the bathroom. He finally called 911 and the ambulance rushed him to the hospital where he was dead on arrival. Now, by sheer coincidence, Harris County prosecutor Mike Hinton was working that night um, at police intake. So he was picking up the phone calls that were coming in and he got a phone call from Pasadena about a dead child. So Mike jumps into action and calls Dr. Joseph. OK, his name is like spelled J.A.C.H.I.M.C.Z.Y.K. It's too many consonants, y'all. <laughs> um, Kimzik. Um, but Jakimzik is the chief medical examiner in Harris County, so Mike explains the situation to Dr. Joseph, and the doctor immediately says, "What does his breath smell like?" And mm-hmm. so Mike calls the morgue and asks them, and they're like, uh, "It smells like almonds." So then Mike calls Dr. Joseph back, mm-hmm. and he's and Dr. Joseph goes, "That's cyanide poisoning." So the following morning, the medical, like the medical exam, he's absolutely 100% right. Um, The autopsy the following morning confirms that not only was it cyanide, but he had consumed so much that it was enough to kill two adult men, people like 400 pound kind of person. Now, Ronald handed over his son's candy immediately to the police. They tested it and it was the Pixie sticks tube full of poison from all of it. Just poison. So, Ronald immediately calls his neighbor Jim and he's like, "Oh, I hope your son your your kids didn't need any." The police look at the thing and they're like, "This is very obviously been tampered with. It's it looks like it's been opened and stapled back together with like like a, a stapler." <laughs> and so of course they're like, "Well, how many did how many did you get from that house?" And he's like, "Well, they gave me like five of them. So I gave one to each of my kids and one to a kid we knew from church and so the police kind of rushed to the the other family's house and they literally found the boy asleep holding the tube in his hand oh my god he hadn't been strong enough to open up the staples which ultimately saved his life so that same day it's only november 1st right now the police take ronald back to the area where they trick-or-treated and they're like so where did you get it from? And he's like, oh, you know, I don't remember. He's like, uh, this guy was, like, standing in the shadows of the front porch. I don't really remember what he looks like. Um, the Investigators are immediately kind of suspicious. Mm-hmm. And they let him go home. But, like, there's, you know, they, they decide to pull him again. And they're like, okay, so you're being kind of shady yeah shady about this where did you find it where was the guy at the house you are keeping us from finding your son's killer this time he points to the house now the man in the house wasn't there so the police showed up at his job he worked at the airport they arrested him in front of his fellow employees he told the police he'd been working that night and his wife and daughter had run out of candy early which is why the lights were shut off Now, Mike Hinton was already feeling like Ronald's story was bogus. But this really solidified it for him. Not to mention Ronald's being weird. Like, the day of his son's funeral, he gets into a fight with the family because... He had written some song for Timothy, and it was going to be, like, played on, like, the nightly news after the funeral, and his family didn't want to stay up and watch it with him. Oh, my God. Come on. Mike was suspicious, um, but it was just a hunch, and it wasn't his investigation. He's just... So he goes back to teaching at the Pasadena Police Academy, and he lets the police do their work. You know, he's the prosecutor. He can't do. He can't really have any part of this because ultimately, he's gonna have to prosecute this once the information comes in. In the meantime, parents in Deer Park are in a total panic. They people are just dropping off candy at the local police stations. They're just here. Have it. It's fine. We'll buy our kids some other candy. We don't care. Mm-hmm. Six days after Timothy is murdered, the police show up at Ronald's door with a search warrant and an arrest warrant. Now, the reason why is over the course of those six days, they discovered that Ronald had taken out a life insurance policy on both of his kids in January for $10,000 apiece. And then September, so a month before this, he had taken out two additional policies each for $20,000 for both kids the the police already knew about the debt but then while they were searching through his house they find like adding machine tape with the exact amount of his bills and it was way more than Ronald was letting on that he actually owed and they were also suspicious when they learned that on November 1st while he still you know sad dad, he called the insurers to learn about when he could get that $30,000. Oh. And not like he waited the whole day. Like, he woke up and was ready to call them the moment they opened at 9 a.m. to talk to them about this, which is wild. Well, last today, you know, yesterday my son died, so uh, when can I get the thirty grand for his yeah. life? When can y'all pay me? This is a little, it's a little much. Uh, and on that adding machine tape was listed the deductions of how much debt he had once all the life insurance payouts were collected. The search warrant also led to a pair of plastic scissors that had a plastic residue that they had found on the candy tubes. And that was enough to hold him for questioning. They later also found on him a pocket knife that had cyanide residue on it too. They also learned he was at community college and They interviewed his professor and some other students who told the police that he would ask weird questions like, what's more lethal, cyanide or another type of poison? A man who worked for a chemical company in Houston called the police and said he remembered a man who had come by looking to buy cyanide and got upset that he could only buy five pounds.
1: That's so much. I was about to say, what do you, why would you need more? Were you going to
0: kill everybody? Your wife too? it's just so much but he told the police he was like the man had dark hair and glasses and most importantly he wore like a beige or like almost light blue smock that he said looked like a doctor which was the uniform that ronald wore to the optician's office Mm -hmm. also he did have dark hair and wore glasses Mm -hmm. as the police called other chemical companies they all had suspiciously received these weird phone calls from a guy who had given his name But he asked weird questions like, how much cyanide does it take to kill a man? Not fucking
1: five pounds, I'll tell you that.
0: Not at all. That wasn't definitive proof, though, because the, the man couldn't positively ID Ronald. And this was decades before DNA evidence was being used. Ronald put in a not guilty plea and the state of Texas proceeded with their case against him. Now, Clyde DeWitt, who is the former assistant district attorney in Houston, will later tell the press, I'm not able to imagine a crime more reprehensible than someone killing his own child for money. Now, what DeWitt didn't know then and what we know now, thanks to forensic psychology, is that poisoners are a group of killers who lack pretty much any empathy. We've learned this based on the crimes and how poisoning is done, usually in a very cold, calculating, and strategic way. Um, mm-hmm. A forensic psychologist, or sorry, foren- yeah, forensic psychologist named Joni Johnston, uh, did an interview with A and E True Crime, and she said that poisoning is an instrument for someone who is kind of cunning and sneaky not somebody who is going to be physically or verbally aggressive. They are more likely to be polite behind the scenes, and as a result, they tend to fool people. This is a relevant quote because that is exactly what Ronald does with the police and even at his trial, which starts on May 5th, 1975 in Houston. There's a chemist who is friends with the Clark family and, sorry, O'Brien family, and... The chemist testified that Ronald would bother him with a lot of questions about killing people with poison cyanide, and he said that he felt Ronald had an unusual interest in the subject. Ronald's sister-in-law testified about how Ronald talked about the insurance payout on the day of his son's funeral. And to add insult to injury, he didn't even say he was going to pay off his debts. He told the family he was going to take a long vacation and buy some things. Yeah. Now, the smoking gun was Danine, Ronald's wife, who told the jury that it was not Timothy's choice to eat the giant pixie stick. She told the jury that her son had wanted a different candy and Ronald pretty much forced him to eat it, even though like her son said it was nasty. Through all of this, Ronald maintains his innocence And Ronald's defense team decides to use the decades-old urban legend about poisoned Halloween candy. Something which wasn't really even in the collective consciousness of the nation yet. And in fact, this trial made it relevant. Across the U.S., this trial is being reported on daily for the entire month that they deliberate. And the press call him the candy man. Now, on June 3rd, 1975, the trial wraps up. Jury goes to deliberate. And it takes 46 minutes for them to return with a... (laughs) Yeah, with a guilty (laughs) verdict. And they went all the way guilty for capital murder as well as four counts of attempted murder for each pixie stick he gave to a child that night who didn't die. And then the, the... judge was just like well since you've decided on capital murder we need you to deliberate on how he should be he should die they came back from that one 71 minutes later with death by electrocution Mm. within days of the verdict danine files for divorce Uh, she would later remarry and her new husband adopted elizabeth as his own ronald spent the next nine years in the ellis unit in huntsville texas Um, Reverend Carol Pickett who worked as a chaplain for the Texas Department of Criminal Justice would later tell the press that Ronald was shunned by all the other inmates they hated him and he had no friends in prison in fact the prisoners actually requested like they put in a formal request to have an organized demonstration on Ronald's execution date as a sort of Fuck this guy. We hate him. (laughs) Love it. One of the things that made the inmates mad was that he wouldn't just go to his fate with dignity. He was originally supposed to be executed on August 8th, 1980. His attorney got a stay of execution for him. They rescheduled it for May 25th, 1982. It got postponed. So Judge Michael McSpadden scheduled it October 31st, 1982 on the 8th anniversary of his crime. When his son would have been 16, he even offered to walk Ronald to the execution. This was going to be the first lethal injection for the first time in Texas, but the Supreme Court stopped it because there were still arguments about how humane lethal injection was, which gave his attorney enough time to get another stay of execution. They schedule it for a fourth time, March 31st, 1984. His lawyer files a document saying lethal injection is cruel and unusual punishment. March 28th, a judge rejects it. Yet it's going to go uh, according to plan. They got him a little last meal, T-bone steak, some French fries and ketchup, corn, sweet peas, lettuce, tomato. He has salad with French dressing. Some iced tea with a sweetener and a Boston cream pie. And then... March 30th, 1984, he walked to his execution just before midnight. Mm. Uh, A crowd of about 300 people outside the prison threw candy at the prison (laughs) and also at the anti-death penalty demonstrators, and they screamed trick-or-treat. Ronald's final words were, what is about to transpire in a few moments is wrong. However, we as human beings do make mistakes and errors. The execution is one of those wrongs, yet doesn't mean our whole system of justice is wrong. Therefore, I would forgive all who have taken it part in any way in my death. Also, to anyone I have offended in any way during my thirty-nine years, I pray and ask your forgiveness, just as I forgive anyone who has offended me in any way. And I pray and ask God's forgiveness for all of us, respectively, as human beings. To my loved ones, I extend my undying love. To those close to me, know in your hearts I love you, one and all. God bless you and. God bless you all and may God's best blessings be always yours. Ronald C. O'Brien. P.S. During my time here, I have been treated well by all TDC personnel and he was executed shortly after midnight. Uh, Ronald was buried in Forest Park East Cemetery in Webster, Texas. Absolutely nowhere near his son who was buried in Houston. Now, another interesting thing happens, right? well, Ronald is trying to avoid the death penalty. One of the biggest medical tampering cases hits the United States. And it is a big deal. That is the 1982 Chicago Tylenol murders, which were first reported in September of 1982. And they lasted between September 82 and October 1982. There were seven people who died when Tylenol capsules were replaced with potassium cyanide. Um, What made these events frightening is that the deaths didn't all happen in the same place. The first one was September 29th, and her name was Mary Kellerman. She lived in Elk Grove Village, Illinois, and she was 12 years old. And then the next three all happened in Arlington Heights, which is about seven miles south of where Mary died. That was Adam Janice, who was 27, his brother Stanley, who was 25, and his sister-in-law, Teresa, who was 19. They all got their Tylenol from a different store. And then a few days after that, Mary McFarlane, who was 31, of Elmhurst. And then Paula Prince, 35, of Chicago. And Mary Reiner of Winfield, she was 27. They all died. So these are all people in different cities. They very much realized that every person had taken Tylenol before they died. They all test these cyanides found to be in the bottles. They release a warning to the people of Chicago not to take any Tylenol. Um, They also actually drove a car around... The metropolitan area, like the whole metropolitan area of Chicago, just over the speakers saying, throw out your Tylenol. (laughs) So, of course, the police and the FDA go to Johnson & Johnson. They recall all the bottles in those stores, um, and they discover that they were, across the the multiple stores, they were manufactured in two different states, Pennsylvania and Texas, making it highly unlikely that this was a manufacturer error. Right. So the police hypothesized that somebody must have bought a bunch of Tylenol bottles, took them home, replaced some of the capsules, and then went and put them back on the shelves. Johnson and Johnson goes into total like protection mode of the brand. They recall bottles in hospitals. They stop selling Tylenol at all. And then while this is going on, on somebody in California finds strychnine in other Tylenol bottles. So at this point they do a full recall on October 5th, 1982. That's 31 million bottles with a retail value of about a hundred million dollars in the eighties, which is about $281 million today. They offered, they immediately switch over to a solid tab formula And they Mm -hmm. offer any customer who just wants to feel safe anywhere in the entire country, we will replace your capsule bottle with tabs. They never find out who does this. Now, there was one guy who tried to take advantage. His name was James Williams Lewis. And he sent a letter to J&J trying to extort them for a million dollars and ended up going to prison for 10 years. (laughs) He did it because he said they fired his wife and he just was trying to get a little extra money because he's mad at him. Um, For about 30 years, though, on the books, uh, they blamed the Tylenol murders on James William Lewis. And he's like, no, 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 I did not do that. Um, (laughs) And both he and his wife actually submitted DNA evidence to the FBI um, to prove that he's a liar, but he's not a killer. (laughs) um they also at one point suspected a man named roger arnold uh who was so like stressed because of the negative press when they listed him as a, a person of interest that he pretty much had a nervous breakdown and he tried to kill the owner of a bar the following summer um he did not kill the owner of the bar he killed a man who looked similar named john stanish uh, and he served 15 years for that and later openly spoke about how he regretted killing an innocent person. Uh, in May of 1988, Laurie Dan went on a poisoning spree around Winnecta, Illinois, and they thought he could be a subset. He could be a suspect, but he was just responsible for the ones in Winecta. Um, The FBI is actually still trying to figure out who did this crime. Um, as recent as 2011, they were testing DNA from other cases like Ted Kaczynski because the first four Unabomber crimes happened in Chicago from 1978 to 1980 when Ted lived in the suburbs of Chicago with his parents. Mm-hmm. Um, so the cr- this crime has America in a chokehold. And then what made it even worse was that all of a sudden more copycat crimes started popping up. They became so rampant that this is why we now have induction seals on over the count of medication and tamper proof packaging. That's hard as hell to open because of these copycat crimes.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Also product tampering is now a federal crime. Um, The pharmaceutical industry moved away from capsules for a very long time. And the FDA, DA continues to tweak the regulations around product tampering as new more creative ways to tamper with things are discovered now we're only in the 80s right now right Halloween 1982 Halloween we, the people are still reminiscent of what happened with Robert uh, Ronald Clark O'Brien right now we've got this case in California people are terrified candy sales go down 20% across the entire nation what happens next is a lot of children dying by accident who it gets blamed on candy. So I'm going to give you a couple. There's a lot of them, but I'm going to give you a couple. So in 1970, this kid named Kevin Toastin was five years old and he was from Detroit. He died after finding and eating his uncle's heroin. Oh, oh. yep the family attempted to protect the uncle by claiming the drug must have been sprinkled on the kid's Halloween candy. Oh my God. Yep. 1978, Patrick Widerhold was a two-year-old boy from Flint, Michigan, who died after eating his Halloween candy. The press was like, ah, it's the candy, strangers. But after toxicology tests were done, there was no evidence of poison, and they were like, He just died.
1: Maybe he was allergic to something.
0: Maybe. In 1982, the police of Redford Township near Detroit issue a statement after a kid gets ill and his doctor misread lab results and went public with charges of cyanide poisoning and Dr. Halloween candy. The police do tests. They're like, there's no poison here. So the doctor was just wrong. In 1990, Ariel Katz was a seven-year-old girl in Santa Monica, California. She died while she was trick-or-treating. And early press reports blamed poison candy, even though her parents told the police that she had a congenital heart defect. She had an enlarged heart, which was her actual cause of death. 1991, Washington, D.C., 31-year-old Kevin Michael Cherry of Montgomery County has heart failure after eating some of his child's Halloween candy. And uh, on November 2nd, the Washington Times tells parents to dump their kids' candies before they even wait for the autopsy. Mm -hmm.
1: 1994.
0: An unnamed three-year-old in New Britain, Connecticut, is diagnosed as suffering from cocaine poisoning. Even though he was sick earlier in the day and he had a bad habit of putting anything he found in his mouth, they blame the candy, which, of course, brings media hysteria. More than a week later, the local police announced there was no cocaine or any other drugs in that boy's candy bag. More than likely, he picked up something that he shouldn't have and put in his mouth.
1: Mm-hmm. As children are to do.
0: As, exactly. 1996, seven-year-old Ferdinand uh, Seguig of San Jose, California, collapses after eating candy and cookies he was given during while he was trick-or-treating. They do a urine analysis at the hospital, which reveals cocaine. Um, subsequent t- tests done by an outside lab come back negative, And it's concluded that the initial test results were just wrong. This conclusion was reached a day after the media had already picked up the story. <sighs> yup. 2001, a four year old girl in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada dies after eating Halloween candy. There is no evidence. She died of poison candy. She actually died from a streptococcus infection. So here's one of okay. So this one is different. So, have, so this is have you heard of drugs being in your kids' candy?
1: Of course.
0: That happened, but not because of the reasons why we thought. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna tell you, it's her. It's two thousand Hercules, California. Trick-or-treaters come home and parents, the kids open up these Snickers bars and they have little baggies of marijuana inside of them.
1: Oh my God, the meme is coming true.
0: (laughs) So parents report to the police, the house where the candy came from is quickly found. The homeowners are super confused. When the police investigate, they're like, okay, the homeowners had no idea that they accidentally handed out drugs. So here's how this happened. The homeowner worked for the post office and most locations have something called a dead letter office, which is where all of the packages with bad postage or not enough postage go, right? Mm-hmm. The homeowner had been tasked with getting rid of like a bunch of canned goods and like what looked like bags of candy that had been shipped. And so he looks at it and he's like, this is perfectly good candy. And he takes it home (laughs) and gives it to his wife to hand out to trick-or-treaters. Hell yeah. In fact, he didn't know that it wasn't a real bag of stickers. Somebody tried to cleverly mail drugs across the country. I mean, um, and pretend it was a stickers bag uh, so that it wouldn't get like searched or x-rayed.
1: That's a really smart way of doing it. But damn, terrible, terrible time of the year to do it.
0: The problem is the media doesn't often follow up on these cases. A lot of the, the digging that had I had to do here was like you find the first story and it's very sensationalized, right? But they don't follow up afterward. So people just remembered that in California in 2000, weed was in kids' bags. <laughs> and they never looked into it any further than that. Um, In fact, well, okay, so I'm going to say this. The company said that their image was tarnished but when you find out what this company is (laughs) I'm gonna I'll just okay so it's October 8th 1988 and the New York Times reports that traces of strychnine are found in a box of sun-kissed fun fruits dinosaurs and they had been purchased on September 23rd in a New Jersey grocery store the candies had like a fine white powder which is what strychnine looks like Mm -hmm. um so they took it to a state lab and that's kind of where the new york times initially ends their story um the lab results come back a week later proving that it was cornstarch which anybody who has made homemade gummies would know that's how you keep them from sticking together now the new york times did print an updated version of this story on october 14th 1988 but the company thomas j lipton incorporated had destroyed 9,400 cases of the product. The company stated that the negativity um, had a huge impact on their image. Now, you might know Thomas J. Lipton Incorporated as one of the largest tea makers in the world who made about $1.6 billion in tea last year and have 50% of the market share. So they obviously recovered. (laughs) Maybe they don't sell fruit gummies anymore, but they sell enough tea.
1: They sure as hell do.
0: (laughs) I didn't realize they owned, they have 50% of the market share of tea sales. I didn't know that. Um, So like I said, even though both Thomas J. Lipton and Johnson & Johnson recovered, the media's incessant need to sort of stay ahead of stories, whether those stories are true or not, is is pretty damaging.
1: Yeah, they don't have all the information. They just want to cover something.
0: And there's definitely these sensational headlines, stay with people much longer after the cases are found out to be hoaxes or just mistaken poisonings.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, there have been journalists who have been analyzing a lot of these news stories over the last 70 years, and most of them end up being pranks. Um One of the bigger studies was done in 1985. A man by the name of Joel Best, he was a sociologist at the University of Delaware, pretty much spent a big chunk of his career looking at candy tampering cases from 1958 to 1983. And he found that of those cases that he was able to confirm were actual candy tampering, were about 90 of them. None of them were random attempts to like hurt kids 78 were outright pranks five were adults who attempted to kill children to get like financial compensation um those were timothy o'brien and kevin Tostin, and the rest were just kids trying to get attention like one of the cases it's actually really funny um it <laughs> a kid brought an apple to his parents and was like i think there's poison on this (laughs) and he had eaten like half the apple and (laughs) there was poison on the other half of the apple but he had dipped it in like he had done that what the kid yes
1: are you serious what the hell
0: listen children are a mess
1: they are a mess my god one
0: thing we can absolutely say kids are a friggin mess Mm um and the pranks were things like people insult, like inserting needles or or razor blades into like another fr- like a friend's candy because they had heard the myths, uh, and they were like, "Oh, this is gonna be so funny." Let me.
1: Tell they're you just something. not
0: realizing they're about to cause community-wide panic.
1: Yeah, that's not funny, not at all.
0: No, um, Joel Best isn't the only person to look into this, but his. Um, coverage of it actually came out during the height of candy hysteria, the mid 80s. And uh, a lot of other people have written about it since then. But for people in our age range, you know, millennials uh, and also some younger Gen X uh, and also sometimes Gen Z, we kind of now make fun of it. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, because here's the thing like I said, drugs are expensive, no one's handing them out for free, it's really easy as you can see from the police to track down wherever tainted candy actually came from, they very quickly can zero in on which house it came from based on asking people questions about it. So Ronald, you know, Clark O'Brien was just kind of a dummy. Yeah. Uh, But there aren't even that many people who tried to kill their kids with candy. So thankfully that's good. Um, One thing, though, interesting is that Joel Best thinks that we've sort of shifted our fear culturally from the supernatural or satanic, because the 80s had the satanic panic, Mm -hmm. right? To real monsters like that in true crime. His direct quote is, we don't believe in ghosts and goblins. We believe in criminals. We have revised what the Halloween menace is from the homicidal maniac, you know, like in slasher movies. To a person so crazy, he poisons the candy of strangers. And I honestly think he's right. Culturally, Americans seem to subsist off of the idea of constantly having a boogeyman. Um, we're worried about... we got to be worried about something. Be it yep. religious, supernatural, a socioeconomic group that we think is destroying the country, a racist opinion of a marginalized community. Sometimes all of the above at the same time. But we have this weird space within our country where many of us are safe, but we fear our communities. And I'm really not sure why we're like this, and that's probably a conversation for a later date. But for some Americans, the fear of the stranger who lurks just outside of your peripheral seeking to harm your family is a boogeyman who is palatable, someone you can prepare for, and ultimately protect your family from. We know that the reality is very different, but in a weird way, looking at the world like this makes people feel safe because the truth of the matter is that we are most likely to be hurt by the people we know and love. And I don't know if people can come to terms with that reality. Like if it's just too hard for you to look at the people around you and go, one of these people might kill me. So instead, we fixate on all of these different boogeymen. Mm-hmm. And for Halloween and the candy-giving time, the boogeyman is the random person in your community who's definitely trying to get your kid hooked on drugs. You know, because he just got all that money. He got
1: all, the extra, all, all the that extra... All that extra
0: drug money. All the He's just got all that time to put needles inside tiny Snickers bars (laughs) or things of that nature. But it's still, it's very interesting. But that's all I got for you today. That's my uh, time spent looking up all the different candy crimes in America. And uh, it's good that we're not so crazy about it now. I do still see some news articles about it, though.
1: Yeah, I've seen a few already this year about Mm -hmm. drugs and candy and stuff.
0: Everybody, every once in a while, uh, people are like, oh, you got to make sure you double check your kid's candy. And I'm like, y'all just made me throw out a perfectly good piece of candy because it got opened in the bag while I was dragging the bag down the street. (laughs) Because, you know, listen, the first couple times you go trick or treat and you carry that cute little pail. Mm -hmm. And then. You, you get to be like 10, and you just take a, a pillowcase and call it a day.
1: Damn right.
0: <laughs> but uh, what do you have for us today, Brian?
1: <clears throat> okay. So today, I'm going to keep up with uh, what I did for the last episode. Um, I'm going to hit you with a Halloween like origin story slash history,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: then I'm going to add a little cryptid to the end of the episode. Um, All why? right. Because this is Halloween and we stay in the spooky season, right? Mm hmm. Okay. So, Brittany, are you ready for trick or treat night? You know, you got your candy, you got your decorations, you got the whole shebang a bang going on.
0: We didn't really do a whole lot, but we do have a bag of candy. Awesome.
1: Is it chocolate? Is just like regular candy? You know, people, you got their. nut allergies chocolate allergies unfortunately chocolate allergies are a thing
0: yeah one of my cousins used to try and sneak chocolate and it was always a problem yeah
1: me myself i'm definitely gonna have my pennies and my raisins ready for these kids
0: you giving out pennies like you're a 75-year-old grandma?
1: Oh, yes. Pennies, raisins, and and toothbrushes.
0: I'm pretty Definitely. sure we have Milky Ways, like a bag of Milky Ways that we're going to be handing out. Oh, my God. I don't know. <clears throat> Glitch went to the store today and grabbed some candy. So
1: Yeah, I got to actually go tomorrow and make sure I got candy. I got to make sure I got candy for... for well, the thing my-
0: is, we live like in the middle of downtown, so I don't even know if kids are gonna come by so that's why we only grabbed like two bags but i'm wearing a costume to work on monday so i guess i just won't take it off because i'm just gonna wear that
1: yeah no uh the area you're in right now yeah a lot of kids do walk that street
0: do they (laughs) They i'm so excited i'm gonna get more candy then thank you for telling me
1: no problem you grew up here yeah i live right up the street from where you're at right now but yeah um yeah, a lot of candy. Hey, I'm going to tell
0: street. her so we can buy more candy. We're going to hang out on the porch from six to eight. Yeah, yeah. Good yeah.
1: shit. Good shit. Um, but yeah, I bet there's one Halloween treat you don't have ready. And if you do, look at you for covering all your bases. Um, okay. <laughs> so, have you heard of a soul cake before?
0: Hmm. People put the word "soul" in front of a lot of things. I don't think I've heard this about is, it in this context. Though,
1: <laughs> this is true. This is true.
0: Um, okay, soul so, ties, soul blah blah. Well,
1: soul cake. What's actually, a soul cake,
0: though?
1: They come with like the beginning of, I guess, trick or treating, like like very beginning, like. It wasn't even trick-or-treating. It wasn't even called Halloween at this time.
0: Oh, back when it was like pagan stuff.
1: It was like, yeah, All Souls Day, which is actually the day after Halloween. Actually, not All Souls...
0: Well, for some people... No, okay. All Saints Day Day All Souls Souls Day?
1: All Saints Day is the day after Halloween, and All Souls Day is the day after that.
0: Oh, I'm Um, so confused then.
1: Yeah, but... um.
0: Listen, that's some Christian stuff. And you know I haven't kept up with that since high school.
1: I know. (laughs) Uh, But but a soul cake is basically just... I mean, it could be like a cookie. It could be a biscuit. It's Like, there are certain... There there are different types of recipes for this certain treat that was given out on these days. Um, It's like they, they... came about like 19th century so like 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 you said just something so easy. why yeah why
0: yes well
1: um so well there's a song that goes along with this actually really <laughs> there's a song that goes along with this i'm just gonna sing like the chorus of it i'm not even gonna sing it i'm just gonna read it it says uh, a soul a soul a soul cake please good missus a soul cake an apple, a pear, a plum, or a cherry. Any good thing to make us all merry. One for Peter, two for Paul, three for him who made us all. Okay. Um. So, yeah. This was something... You know how, you know, with Christmas, you have your carolers and stuff like that. Um. Well, during... All Saints Day, All Souls Day, Halloween at that time.
0: Mm-hmm. They
1: had people that would come around, uh, whether they be um, homeless people or beggars. And they would, you know, sing a the song. They'd do these carols. And the people of the house would, they normally would have a soul cake. And what the soul cakes represented was... For one person, one for one soul cake, they get a soul, you know what I mean. Soul soul mm-hmm. cake. Um, so a lot of people would just go around and you know, do these, uh, these carols, prayers, stuff like that. Um, and it's actually called souling. <laughs> I okay, so here's
0: my question, right? You said yes, this came ma'am. about in like the nineteenth century. Yes. So I'm 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 guessing they probably don't have too many um decorations. Like you... I feel like the eighteen hundreds we didn't have like pretty cakes.
1: No, they were basic ass cakes that you <laughs> They're not even, like they're they're basically a coo- no
0: like was there even biscuits.
1: icing? No, nothing on top of it is just a basic biscuit looking cooking cookie thing.
0: No, see, it's not a cake. It can't. It's not a cake with no icing. <laughs> Look, it's it a, ish. it's a biscuit.
1: It has sugar, like this, flour, you know what eggs. They
0: call the cookies in New England biscuits. Like,
1: biscuits, yeah. Yeah,
0: it's a biscuit.
1: Uh yeah, (laughs) they are look it up now. Cakes, I guess. Um, but yeah, like I said, there was a song that that was created. That was only a chorus of what I read. Mm -hmm. Um, so after I'd say after this, uh, you know what mummers are, right? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Excellent. So. For anybody who doesn't know what mummers are, they're like entertainers, basically. Actors who, you know, go out in the streets, they dance, they perform, they they, they wear co- costumes. Um, sounds familiar, right? Something.
0: The reason why I said yeah so excitedly is because Philadelphia. Yeah,
1: yeah, I know. The mummers parade.
0: I had and wore an authentic mummers costume every Halloween for like four years. Ah, that's my awesome. aunt got it for me. Um, my Aunt Jean got it for me and I loved it. And I didn't care that nobody knew what it was because I knew
1: what it was. <laughs> that's all that matters.
0: But yeah, like I guess back in like the 18th century, they were just like working class street performers. Absolutely. And I'm like, talk about the cool. Like they look so cool. I don't know if they're like cool people now, but I know they look cool. Yeah.
1: So modern day trick or treaters. Are thought of as being like descendants of these mummers. Oh, cool! Yeah, I love would... that actually. Yeah, right. It's so cool. Um, and they would not only come out, of course, for Halloween, but they come out for other special like times of the year, Hol- uh, Christmas, All Souls Day, right. stuff for, like that. That's
0: when the mummers parade is. I think it's uh, it's a New Year's Day in Philadelphia. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's that's a big celebration.
1: Yeah, and a lot of people, they would just go to, you know, they they knew where, like, trick-or-treaters nowadays, they go to that one person's house, they know they got those full-size, those king-size candy bars, oh. and the mummers would go to the, you know, the rich people's houses, they know we're rich, and they go gotcha. perform there, yep, and, you know, they get food, they get something to drink, they might get a gift for their performance out there, you never know, um, but yeah yeah that is that like when i read about the murmurs i was like oh that's awesome they just go out there like it's just it's definitely trick-or-treating um
0: <clears throat> okay so i've googled what these cakes look like and one they're ugly and two <laughs> why do they have axes on them do you Some have that in them- your notes yeah, no, I don't
1: know why they have access on some. See, that's the that's the thing. Some of them are like they're different recipes for making them. Some of them say mm. to do certain things with them, put some certain things in it, make it you know a certain way, make it fluffy. Some of them are fluffier than a, a a cookie, and some of them are like flat like a damn biscuit, or like, like uh God. Or okay, flat I will like say you know I came I mean across a recipe biscuit. that
0: looks beautiful but some of these look ugly
1: yeah a lot of them a lot of them if we're making like a traditional um soul cake it's definitely gonna look ugly
0: yeah some of these look rough like real throw. whatever we got in the house and saturday's cookies Mm -hmm. but (laughs) the more modern ones like one of these looks like a little pie just a little tiny pie i'm like that's cute that's cute i wonder if people know the cultural significance who are doing them like today in today's time
1: i would hope so um because i've also read some stories about soul cakes um some of them being creepypasta some of them being actual like stuff um and you know they're used to like represent like I i guess um they're, they're, they're given to appease spirits of the, you know, of All Souls Day, All Saints Day. Ah, or, or, you know, okay, not All Saints okay, okay. Yeah, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So, and I thought that was really cool. I was like, oh, so you got spirits, and you're giving out treats to the spirits? Let's go. It's like, um...
0: What culture? Is that, Mexico does that? Yes. With their, and, um, their little... There's a proper name for it that I should know because we just watched Coco at school, but um, Dios
1: de los mortos.
0: But there's like the name of the place where they put all the pictures and the food.
1: Um, the, I don't remember what that's. Called. Ofrenda.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. They put food on the ofrenda, so that's what. I, that's the only culture I really like know that has like. I mean, lots of cultures have death um, rituals, mm. but that's probably the one I'm most familiar with. So I'm like they feed their dead through that.
1: Yes. It's you know, and I think uh, I might be wrong on this, but I'm pretty sure I read this as well. That,
0: um
1: Peru also they do celeb- still celebrate the the souling. Okay. And like and this came from freaking Europe and made it all the way down to you know Peru and stuff. So it's like one of the things oh, I
0: think I love the most about like the Mexico and the thing with the putting the food on the afunda is mm-hmm. that it's it's offered to the ghost for the aroma. Yes. Because they know they can't eat. But maybe they can smell it and remember.
1: It's remember and I kinda yes. love that. <laughs> I love that, yes.
0: They're like, listen, we know you can't eat but we gonna sit it here so you can remember what it was like to eat when you were alive
1: and hopefully that doesn't make you hungry
0: that's why they put out alcohol too yes. a lot of people now that is one thing a lot of cultures do put out booze for uh the dead Or one out for mean. the homies
1: <laughs> please
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> a bottle of wine your finest your finest pinot noir please for me
0: Oh, is that what you want? That's
1: right. Please, thank you. We'll appreciate yes. that.
0: Listen, if I'm going to be dead, you better drop a bottle of tequila on my grave.
1: Oh, you got it. No problem.
0: Y'all sit around the, the gravestone, do a shot, and then go home.
1: Yes. Oh,
0: God. Wait, no, you can't drive home because y'all just had alcohol. It's a shot.
1: It's only an ounce of liquor. It takes an hour for that to go through your system. You'll be fine. Tell spooky stories (laughs) in the meantime.
0: There you go. Oh, my God. I wish we had more interesting death culture, like death rituals in the U.S.
1: (sighs) That would be nice.
0: We lost a lot of it, uh, I think, in more modern area. People are scared of the dead.
1: We just feared death. Yeah. That is what the thing but is. The,
0: you know, but the problem is they fear it to the point where you don't prepare and then you leave your family with huge bills and you know um, like my best friend's uh, grandmother uh, she prepared everything ahead of time. She had already purchased her casket and her like grave plot decades before she died. Oh my God. She was like I don't want y'all to have to deal with this. She, her, her, my, my friend knew what she wanted to be buried in, how she wanted her hair done. She had a whole little plan. Um, and that's appreciated because when my mom passed, we were sad and it was, I, it didn't matter how many times the doctors told me that she had a fatal illness. My brain was like, she not dying. What are you talking about? (laughs) So I wasn't really ready. Um, I remember like picking out, like there was stuff I wanted to do. Like I wanted to get like a piece of her hair, you know, for like, you know, like the, um, they did in the 14th century, like in the Renaissance, where they would like use the hair in like an art piece or something. Mm -hmm. Totally forgot about that in the moment. Um, I just picked an outfit and sent that to the people. And then my uh, dad let me choose the flowers. And I was like, he's like, choose all her favorite flowers. And I was like, they're all out of season. And he was like, I don't care. (laughs) So she had beautiful, like, irises and mums and all sorts of flowers that don't grow in December. All over the church. Yeah. That's, That's beautiful. Yeah, but, like, I wish we had more stuff in our country. Like
1: you know what, we should do a thing for, this is going to be weird, but I saw a story about this, okay, mm-hmm. some guy, he knew he was dying, and mm-hmm. he he just wanted to get tattoos, okay, and he wanted to leave his children or something, so what he did was he got his whole body covered with tattoos, and then, like, and when he died, he had his skin peeled, whatever, you know, the, the tattoos peeled off his skin. I
0: think I As remember a, this. Part of he, it was kept.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Most of that was kept. For, like, his kids to, like, hang up and, like, just look at art, the art that he had on him. And I think that's it's it's um, macabre, definitely. But that's something they, I would probably they know,
0: do. They call them human pelts.
1: Uh, yeah. It's something I would probably do. Not gonna lie.
0: You yes. want me to save your little Pokemon <laughs> tattoo?
1: Uh, Pokemon tattoos? Thank you for much. Yeah, there's much. more.
0: There's more than one. <laughs> yes.
1: Save those. Absolutely. Before I get cremated.
0: Yeah, might as well.
1: Okay. So... It's like not I as crazy as
0: the dad who wants the skull, like be beautified and gemstones put in the eye sockets and left on the the mantle. Look, that's... you can make a
1: you, you can make a mug out of my skull if you really want to. That's that's no like, badass.
0: <laughs> your children love you. <laughs> exactly. They're gonna Drink be sad.
1: Coffee. Drink your morning coffee out of my head. I know they would be terrible. That'll be terrible.
0: Anyway. <laughs> oh my god
1: I'm just thinking of different ideas to preserve <laughs> my memory
0: <laughs> you look you all have made a podcast that has been listened to by a quarter of a million people and this mm. will be online forever probably
1: this is true and they will hear it and am like dad what the hell are you thinking <laughs> <laughs> oh god alright 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 so I do, I do have my, my cryptid um, all
0: right
1: so this one i saw weeks ago okay and like
0: was it new to I, you when you heard about it
1: it really was nice and it's another i'm sorry I, I had to do it because it's new to me and it was in the. it's it's from the area so it's another bigfoot um type oh monster my god
0: of course it is
1: <laughs> okay but check it out okay this one is from Columbia, PA. Okay. In between.
0: Pensil- I don't like that.
1: In between Lancaster and Columbia.
0: I like that even less.
1: <laughs> it's called. Oh, Alba- bat A L B A T witch. All bat witch. That's how I'm gonna say it.
0: Oh my all god! The first thing I see is Al Batwitch Festival. Yes. Why are we? Like it
1: just this? it looking just happened like two weeks ago. It literally just happened two weeks ago. We, they had a festival of it. Um.
0: Oh, look at all the little stuffies. This <laughs> so, little thing with a hat carrying an apple.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's um actually where it gets its name from um they used to uh, apparently still apples
0: oh I mean, okay they really,
1: they really liked apples um
0: <clears throat> it looks so small
1: it is small you know how tall that thing is no it's four feet tall
0: okay because you said it was a bigfoot but
1: it's considered it's not a bigfoot it's, little. it's not. It's a, it's a humanoid. When I say Bigfoot, I mean like a humanoid ape type thing.
0: I'm looking at a very blurry photo.
1: <laughs> but yes, the Out the Belt Witch is a, a local legend from Columbia, Pennsylvania. All right. And they celebrate this thing. Like, I i've lived in lancaster all my life and i've never heard of this thing um and it's a small man yeah how did you never
0: hear about a festival down the road from where you grew up right
1: i have no idea but it used to live in like i guess the the wooded area wooded areas Mm -hmm. um And I guess it lived by Chickie's Rock.
0: I don't know where that is. Where's that?
1: Neither neither do I, but I'm pretty sure. I've driven by there a lot because Columbia is not that big. Um, And I guess they used to hang around the Susquehanna River banks as well. So. I know what that is. Yeah. <laughs> I would hope so.
0: <laughs> we yeah. I lived on the Susquehanna River for like five years. <laughs> Legitimately, like my my apartment looked out onto the river. That's why we laugh. Uh,
1: um but yeah, yeah. Oh, these... okay, so
0: Chickies Rock, um, it's a like a county park from uh it's it's the shortened version of Chicasco. Okay, Chiquesalunga, meaning place of the crayfish. It's an indigenous word.
1: I know where it's at. Okay. So that's why
0: they, they called it just Chickies because they don't know how to say words. And I get it. Uh, Pennsylvania <laughs> is full of indigenous towns <laughs> and names I, for things that are very hard to say.
1: I'm pretty sure I drive by there on a daily basis. For so work. you
0: drive by the park, and the. it looks like there's like a river there too.
1: Yeah, there is. There is.
0: Okay. Is, Wait, is the um, river, I guess, part of the Susquehanna, too? Yeah. Okay.
1: I believe that's, yeah. That's that bridge that crosses over from uh, Columbia to Wrightsville.
0: Okay. Um, Alrighty. Well, you've been there a lot. So that's where your <laughs> friend lives.
1: Where In them lives. I have been to that park, too. I I don't know.
0: You should go there, on a hunt.
1: I should really do something out there. Yeah.
0: I will um, watch it as you live stream it.
1: <laughs> okay. But I
0: will not be out in the woods looking for creatures. You know how I feel about the woods and the oh, things yeah, of that live there.
1: No, of course. Oh, goodness. But yeah, like, like, <laughs> this, this, uh, the Outbat, which is, uh, it's named after, I guess, like I said, a habit it. It it has and it likes to just take apples and that's cute. It's it's short for apple snitch. So I'll apple snitch, I'll bat witch.
0: That's not computing, Brian.
1: <laughs> Look, I didn't come up with this.
0: You're right, you're right. You didn't come up with it, but it Because uh, it's A L B A T witch.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I know.
0: Alright, whatever.
1: <laughs> but yeah, they used to steal apples from picnickers, apparently. Oh, um, that's And they used to throw them at people too. Um, but yeah. Um, it says, the legend says that the owl batch witches, they either became extinct or were driven into extinction after the 19th century. Um, there have been a lot of, well, supposed sightings, um, at Chickie's Rock. Okay. Um, They see strange things out there, hear strange noises. (laughs) They don't know what's going on out there. I mean, it's Columbia, so who knows what's going on out there. (laughs) Um, in about, like, the, the 1950s, 1970s. Uh, there was a man-like figure Uh that was seen several times around the
0: area. Okay.
1: And, and, um, I guess legends say that they heard, like, sounds that sound like a crack of a whip in the woods.
0: Ooh.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, maybe this could be like, I don't know, an old bat which just like doing something out there. Who knows? Like, I don't know. Like, it's it's a bigfoot type monster, um, and I guess not only in Columbia, but they, it was also spotted in Lancaster, PA, in about like 1973. Um, and it's only like ten miles away from Colombia, so that's not too much, too far of a stretch for you know to travel that far. Um, and I was in like the same year that I guess it started appearing, or after it started appearing in Colombia. So between nineteen fifties, nineteen seventies, it was in Colombia, and then a little bit afterwards, it started heading towards Lancaster. So okay. Who knows where it's at now? Um it, it's also been, I guess, reported that it's been seen in York County too. So
0: that's far away.
1: Look, it's hitting Lancaster, Columbia, York. It's it's probably just making its way down the east coast.
0: Making its way downtown?
1: <laughs> Walking fast. Faces past and he's homebound, apparently. He's going, you know where he's going? Where? He's going down the East Coast. He's going down to Florida because that's where all Pennsylvanians go, okay?
0: No. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no thanks.
1: <clears throat> okay, so there's a book um, about it's called Ghosts of the River Towns. Mm hmm. Uh, is by rick fisher and he goes over basically chronicles different creatures that he's or different things he's seen in these towns by rivers he writes a story about he was riding he was driving down route 23 okay uh, that's near uh chickie's rock Mm -hmm. um it was a cold february morning and he had a strange encounter I'm just reading this now. Um, in the distance, he saw appeared to be a person walking in the middle of the road. And as Fisher got closer, he slowed down significantly because the person seemed small enough to be a child. So, like I said, I think it was four feet oh,
0: tall. Oh, so he was like, "Oh no, this child yeah.
1: is lost." Some child, some child is lost, and it was like a stick thin, a thick thin figure, Ew. and yeah. He said it was, like, about five feet tall. It was covered in hair. And it just stood in the road. Um, Fisher, he flashed on his high beams to get a better look.
0: See, I was about to say, Uh, then he turned around and didn't engage. mm -hmm. Yep. (laughs) No, he flashed his high beams. Continue. Uh,
1: No, he flashed his high beams. And then the, the creature did turn around. And... It had these yellow eyes that were staring right back at his car. And then, after he flashed his high beams on it, um, the figure just vanished. Right there. In the middle of the road. He just vanished. Um, yeah, and like... He just wrote about it as part of his little uh, book. But... What... Drew me to this thing to, to this out bat which, is that in the beginning of October, there is an out bat which day festival,
0: and we missed it.
1: And we missed it. It was October. It was literally
0: 8th. like thirty minutes away. Yes, and we missed it.
1: It happens from uh, it happens from eleven a.m. to five p.m. um and it's just a freaking festival. You get uh, ghost tours. There are vendors there. You get music. You get artists there. People dressing up as an outbat witch. <laughs> it's
0: yeah. Uh, <sighs> when's the Mothman? We got to go do that.
1: Oh, I think it's in. I'm like I'm drawing a blank. I'm pretty sure it's like either July or August. So we got to go there definitely next year.
0: Third um, weekend in September.
1: Damn, really? I was so off. Yep. Next year?
0: Next year, I guess.
1: Well, I know what I'm doing. September. Is there a weekend? Um, Going
0: but... to South Carolina.
1: West Virginia, man. Whoops, West wrong Virginia. Place. <laughs> <laughs> Sh- whoops. Oh, goodness. But, yeah. Um... If you want to know any more about the Albat Witch, you can definitely go to AlbatWitchDay dot um, and it basically gives you like a little legend of the Albat Witch, um, the things that go on during the day of the festival, which actually look pretty cool. And I am really sad that I missed it this year, but I will definitely try to make it next year um and hopefully it is always in the beginning of october i think so let's hope that's a thing and i'll make it um
0: yeah, yeah let's do it
1: yeah that's that's what i got for this week
0: well thank you all so much for listening i'm going to say uh with the a lot of work that i'm doing right now like my main job um is like forty five plus hours a week um we probably won't be having three hour podcasts anymore uh things will probably come out in parts uh if if I do like big cases like we do like I did with you know Bundy or Manson um those will probably be more likely, but hopefully you'll still be happy even if the podcast is only like an hour and a half mm-hmm. uh just gotta. Sort my time a little differently now, but
1: unfortunately, yeah,
0: yeah. So, thank you for listening.
1: Yes, we appreciate it so much.
0: And have a good Halloween.
1: Yes, make sure you get those soul cakes ready,
0: <laughs> but make them Aww. cute.
1: Yes, please make them cute, add some frosting at least.
0: <laughs> The ancestors (laughs) want frosting. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Happy Halloween.
1: (laughs) See you, bye.